Hi, online church family. I'm so glad that you could meet with us here. We're about to go into a preach that I delivered recently, and I really hope this blesses you, it inspires you, it takes you further in your walk with God. That's my heart for you as you watch this. And if it really does bless you, why don't you go ahead and share it with someone who you think needs to hear it? Uh, make sure you click like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our messages here that we upload weekly. And um, jump in the chat so we can connect with you as well so you're not a stranger. So sit back and enjoy. I hope that you get blessed. Now, there's been a lot of debate around how to pronounce that word. Okay, we've had arguments. Is it pursuit, pursuit? I say pursuit. Anyone with me? Yes, there you go. But English is my second language, so don't take it from me. It could be anything. And um, so pursuit, we're, we're talking about pursuing God, pursuing the things of God. We're talking about what's important to Him and making that a priority. And especially for January and February, we're focusing around this theme. And so today I want to answer the question, what does it mean to pursue what's important to Jesus? Because we're all pursuing something, aren't we? Everybody has an agenda. Turn to the person next to you and go, what's your agenda? Yeah, that's right. I'm telling you, the person you're sitting next to has an agenda. Everyone has an agenda. We're all pursuing something. So what does it mean in this life to pursue what's important to God? Have you ever wondered why um, Jesus leaves us here on earth after we make a decision to follow him? Like consider the fact that you could make a decision to follow Jesus, which means you're going to heaven. Why don't the pastors take you out the back then? and go, congratulations, let me help you on your way. Why, why do we stay? Like, why don't we just get beamed up straight away to go to heaven? It's because there's a purpose. Everything, you know, your life has a BC and an AD, and everything from the moment you make a decision to follow Jesus counts. Otherwise, you would just go to heaven. So everything that we do in this life matters for something. And so in pursuing God, how do we pursue what's actually important to Him? And why do we stay? What has God got for us here? And in Ephesians 2, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus is a group of new believers. These people, are they've come out of a pagan, even a demonic system. And they've come alive to the things of God and they're filled with the Spirit and they're following Jesus. But Paul has to teach them. I don't know if you're like me or like the church in Ephesus, but I needed some catching up in my mind and some reprogramming. My spirit was alive, but I needed to learn some things because I'd come out of a system that was so different. Anyone else like that in the room? And so he says to the church in Ephesus, he says in Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10, God saved you by His grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So, can you say so? This is why you don't get beamed up to heaven when you raise your hand and follow Jesus. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So the point of this scripture, the first part of it, verse 8, says, you know what, you, nothing you did got you this salvation. It's a gift from God. 
But now that you're saved, everything you do matters. So you're not saved by good works. You're saved for good works. And in fact, those good works He planned for us long ago that we might walk in them. And so there are some things that are just important to Jesus and we have the opportunity to get on board with what they are. We have the opportunity to make this life here worthwhile. Worthwhile. We have that opportunity. In 2 Corinthians, Paul again is writing to another church, the church in Corinth in the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Again, another group of new believers, new converts that have come out of a very, very worldly, um, pagan way of doing life. And he says, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, we must all one day stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this earthly body. You know, there's this false teaching at the moment. There's this false understanding in the church that works don't matter. And actually, it's a twist of Ephesians where he says you're not saved by works. That's true. But the second half of the scripture says you're saved for works. And so in actual fact, let's not pervert the scripture. In actual fact, yes, works really do matter. They matter because God's left us here to make an impact in our generation. And so we really should care about the output of our lives. We really should care because that matters to God. And it says there that we will be rewarded for whatever we do, good or evil. And so what matters on the other side of this life in eternity needs to matter to us on this side. And so what does it mean to pursue what's important to Jesus? It means to pursue what's important in eternity. What's important in eternity for us in our everyday lives? C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he wrote this. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely the ones who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Is when we think of heaven, suddenly we have this drive and this understanding and this perspective for right now. When we stop thinking of heaven, all we live for are temporal things temporal things. It's so important for us to understand that what happens on the other side of eternity or what value lies in eternity is determined by what we do here. And reading the chronological Bible, which we're doing at the moment, we're back in Job. And this week we read Job 28, which is one of the most heartbreaking passages of the Bible where Job is noticing, noticing just human nature. And he writes things like, you know what, humans, we're so disciplined and so motivated to find wealth. We sink mines into the earth to find gold and stones and precious minerals. We toil and work and grow our wealth. And there's no end to the commitment and motivation when it comes to these things. Isn't that true? And yet we don't know where the true riches are found. 
and we don't pine for the true riches. We're not as motivated to go after or pursue the things of God as we are when we pine and pursue the temporal things of the earth. But the funny thing is, the tragic thing is that God actually holds all of this in his hand. And we don't pine for God when we should. We should be seeking to pursue him and what's important to him. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all this will be added unto you. It's like that saying, if you aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. If you aim for earth, you'll get neither. It's so true. It's so, so true. And so I want to talk today about what is our motivation. Every day, are you and I motivated by something that is temporal or eternal? Are you and I motivated by the approval of man or the approval of God? When you know you have God's approval and when He is the source of your identity, you don't have to prove yourself to any person. You don't even have to prove yourself to yourself. You don't have to counteract that word that was spoken over you by your father. You don't have to prove him wrong, even though he may already have passed away. There are so many people trying to prove someone wrong who no longer is even alive. You don't have to prove that school teacher wrong. When you know you're doing it for the approval of God, when he's the source of your identity, when you understand every day now matters for eternity, everything changes. Everything changes. And Jesus talked a lot about eternal rewards. And so in answering the question, Jesus knows us, right? He knows that we are rewards driven. He knows that deep down we're narcissistic. Okay, when I was toilet training my children, they only needed a sticker chart on the fridge to get them over the line. I mean, it's amazing how motivating a sticker is to a two-year-old. So Jesus talked a lot about rewards. He did. He did. And the apostles talked a lot about it as well. I've got a table on the screen that I want to show you. And this table, that table... <laughs> there's actually more but you'll see on the left side this is all the things Jesus taught the crown of life the reward for compassion persecution generosity hospitality prayer and fasting the apostles taught as well on the crowns the incorruptible crown the crown of life the crown of righteousness crown of glory rejoicing a reward for work ethic praise the Lord a reward for being faithful to the truth now I don't want to diminish what the apostles taught because every part of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I rearranged this into what Jesus taught and the apostles taught because I've only got 18 minutes left, all right? And we're going to teach what Jesus taught about rewards. And so on the left-hand side is what we're going to cover today. I encourage you, this is on the Bible app, so it's available to you. Screenshot it, research it. It is fascinating and it is a great motivator for life. So what is it to pursue what God considers important? The question we need to ask and the title of my message really is what's it worth? For what it's worth. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying this. 1 Corinthians 3. Anyone who builds on that foundation, we know Jesus is the only true foundation. 
Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw. But on the day of judgment, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. If, and the fire will show if a person's work has any value. Everything you and I do, AD, in our lives is going to pass through a fire. And the fire will show if what we've done has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer a great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So what he's saying is the awesome thing is, rest assured, you can't lose your salvation, okay? The builder will be saved by the skin of his teeth. And if you're happy to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, you're welcome to fall asleep and not listen to anything else I'm going to say. But I want to live a life that counts. I want to live a life and I want to be the type of builder that builds with the sort of materials that make it through the fire. On that day when I stand before Jesus, I want it to be worth something. And so the question is, what does he care about? What does he care about? Because that is what's going to pass through the flames. And like Job said, we can spend our whole lives being motivated to pursue the wrong things. But for such a time as this, let's pursue what's important to God. Understanding we're here on purpose for a person, purpose. I think there might be a couple of disappointed people in heaven when they get there. When it all goes through the fire and there's nothing left. And I want to let you know there are no volunteers in heaven. There's no part-timers or casuals. In heaven is just sons and daughters. People who are part of the family, in the family business. That's who's in heaven. And so we need to ask ourselves, what am I doing? And will Jesus ask me about this? And how will I answer? In Revelation 22:12, it says, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. So let's go through the left-hand side of that table. And the first one, and you would have noticed that on one side there were a lot of crowns. The apostles taught a lot about crowns. Jesus talks about rewards. But the one crown that does both sides of the table is the crown of life. The crown of life up there is actually, you get it through a sifting. Do you know what that means? <laughs> Lots of it. A sifting is where God takes your life and sifts it and removes all the temporal, worthless things to see what's left of you. Sifting is not a fun experience. Sifting is hardship. Sifting is challenge. And Jesus and the apostles both teach about the crown of life, which is given to those who patiently endure trials, testing, and persecution, even 
to the point of death. Matthew 5, Jesus said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We are going to face sifting in our lives. There's again this strange notion in the church that that any pain is assigned to someone who's done the wrong thing. I wanna tell you that good things happen to good and bad people. Bad things happen to good and bad people. We look at it in Job. Job was faultless and he went through a sifting. He went through a sifting. And this other notion in the church is like, I've got to avoid pain at all costs. I have this aversion to painful experiences and woe is me when a painful experience comes on me and I fall apart and I break into a hundred little pieces when God is saying, actually, there's a reward if you can get through it and hold your faith. The difference between you and me and the world and the ones who don't know Jesus, we all go through stuff. The difference is we've got Jesus to hang on to. And we've got a reward when we hang on to him. But sifting is going to come. Sickness, marriages coming under attack, loss of loved ones, persecution. But Jesus promises to be with us in all of those trials. And that if our faith remains, we will see a great victory. This requires patience and trust. Trust. Revelations 2.10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Have you looked death in the face? This year, Sam and I have. Have you experienced testing, sifting? I can tell you a thing or two about that from the last 12 months, currently. Sifting, sifting. James 1 verse 12, God blesses those, listen, he blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Stand firm in your faith, my friends. Don't question, don't worry, stand firm. Stand firm. Sifting will come, but stand firm. Don't worry. Don't worry. Worry is putting your faith in the wrong things. You need to stand firm in a sifting, in a shaking, in a trial. You need to stand and go, I know what the Word of God says. And I resolutely stand on that Word regardless of what my circumstance looks like. We have to, God, open up my eyes to the things unseen because what I can see right now is from the pit of hell. What I can see right now is counter contrary to your word. God, open my eyes to what you see. 
I know the Word of God. I know what your promise is. God, I know your character. And no matter what the circumstance looks like, I'm standing on what I know. And I will not be intimidated by any other beast that comes my way. It doesn't matter whose mouth it comes out of. It could be a doctor. It could be a mentor. It could be a parent. But if it's a lie from the pit of hell, it's a lie from the pit of hell. And I will stand on the Word of God and I will remain because there is a reward that comes for those who stand. The crown of life is waiting for the ones who know their God and who will stand on His promise. He doesn't change His mind. I want to tell you, He didn't change His mind when your situation got hairy. He didn't go, oh, whoops, I got it wrong. He's still the same. He's still trustworthy. And so the crown of life means we stand through the sifting process. Number two, the reward for prayer and fasting. (laughs) Uh, I want to tell you, there are some things that only come out with prayer and fasting. Jesus said it. There are some, let me listen. There are some things that, some things that only come out with prayer and fasting. You can try all the other things. Go ahead. I know you will because that's human nature. But there are some things that only come out with prayer and fasting. And I want to just, I want to assure you the word fasting is not a spelling mistake. It wasn't meant to be feasting. It is meant to be fasting. And there are some things that only in your life, there's going to be some things in your life, there are, are you getting this? Some things that will only come out with prayer and fasting. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 17, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Prayer, intercession and fasting should not be underestimated and cannot be overstated. Fasting breaks the patterns and the tight grips of the flesh and opens your whole being to the fire and the Spirit of God. I want to tell you, it's meant to be hard. Fasting is meant to be inconvenient. You're meant to want to give up. And at that moment when you want to break your fast is precisely the moment where you should push through. Because fasting denies the flesh. That's the point. I don't know about you, but my flesh needs to be brought into line more than just once a year when the church does a fast. I need, my flesh wants to lord my life, but I don't want it to. I want God. I want the Spirit to lord my life. And fasting breaks that hold and brings us into a keen awareness of Him. Prayer aligns you with heaven and it actions your authority. God has eternal rewards to those who pray and fast. Number three, compassion. This is given, this reward is given to those 
who love the unlovely, the forgotten, the needy, and respond to a need just in front of them. In Matthew 25, he's telling a parable, and he says, The king will say to them, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Further down in verse 37, they said to him, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or alone or naked? And when did we ever visit you when you were sick or in prison? And the king, Jesus, will say to you and me, I tell you the truth. When you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. The reward is given for those who have compassion for the need in front of them. Not just going, oh, that's sad, but actually do something about it. A reward is given to those ones. And we have to have a buffer. We have to have a buffer to allow ourselves to do that because we're so busy and maxed out all the time. But when was the last time you were in the grocery store and the person in front of you was struggling to, with the transaction? Could you just tap your card and pay and walk away? When was, you need a buffer for that and an intentional buffer because you know your God's hands and feet. What about, what about people that you see on the street who are obviously in need of encouragement? Do you have time to stop? I remember going to a concert when we were allowed to go to concerts. Do you remember that? Um, some of you are too young to remember. That was two years ago. Um, and I was going to a concert at Suncourt Stadium with my friends and there were literally thousands of people, like thousands of people walking together. And, and this, we walked past a bus stop and there was a young woman in the bus stop crying. Thousands of people walked past her. And I stopped and prayed with her, told her Jesus loved her. Just in that moment, do you have the buffer? Do you have the buffer to be compassionate in the world around you number four generosity and so if you're prepared to give we're going to do our offering just here but in Luke 6 Jesus says give and you will receive your gift will return to you in full not just in full but pressed down shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap, the amount you give will determine the amount you give back. There is a reward for generosity. And generosity takes on all forms. All forms. Do you see these LED screens? They're not on at the moment because we're still figuring them out. But they got installed on Thursday. These LED screens, I won't tell you what they're worth because that's confidential, nor who gave us the money. But I can tell you it was a young couple in their mid-twenties who paid for those. I remember when Sam and I were youth pastors, there was this young guy, 22 years old, came to us and he said, I want to give you $10,000, all of his savings for his first car. God has told me to give you this money. We put him off. Uh, don't feel right about that. No. And we literally put him off for months until he came to us and he said, listen, take my money. 
$10,000. This is what he said. I'm believing for a soul for every dollar. There is a reward for generosity. I remember when Sam and I were in a situation and we didn't know whether we should stay in ministry or not. Before we had kids, we were wrestling about our future and all that sort of thing. A couple asked to see us, just like anyone from the congregation. And they met with us over coffee and they slid an envelope over. And they said, they didn't know anything, but it's like as if they'd been under our bed. And they said to us, God wants you to know that you're exactly where you're meant to be, doing exactly what you're meant to be doing. And they slid over an envelope with $5,000 in it. Generosity, there's a reward for generosity. I want to tell you that since that time, we have seen more than 10,000 people make decisions for Jesus. Who's attributed to that? I want to tell you it's not me and Sam. I want to tell you it's that couple who met with us and the young guy. That's who gets that reward. There's a reward. If you give friendship, you'll receive friendship. If you give love, you'll receive love. If you give kindness, you'll receive kindness. If you give a smile, you'll receive a smile. What you give determines what you'll get back. Number five, hospitality that can't be repaid. And Jesus turned to the host and he said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite, (laughs) don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives and rich neighbors for they will invite you back and that will be the extent of your reward instead invite the poor the crippled the lame and the blind then at the resurrection of the righteous God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you this is different to the reward for compassion because the reward for compassion meets a need in front of you whereas a reward for hospitality is more about an open home and discipleship. So let me paint this for you. I have um, sponsored children overseas. That is the reward of compassion. I'm meeting their need. But the reward for hospitality goes to the ones on the ground who are discipling those two children, teaching them, feeding them, inviting them into the home. They get the reward for hospitality. I get the reward for compassion. Do you see? I want to show you a picture. Can we show that picture, please? This is just last week. They're my four amazing children, okay? And right in the middle is a couple. That's Ian and that's Naeus. Ian and Naeus were my first pastors. And I met them when I was about 12 years old. And they took our family in, really, in the church they were the senior pastors of the church they took in my mum a single mum with three girls and they loved her they taught her how to read the bible they taught her how to pray they taught her how to worship they taught her how to fast they taught her how to give they taught her biblical principles they taught her how to serve They taught her biblical principles and there was literally nothing she could have done to repay them. And me then, I loved being at Naeus' house. I loved sitting at her kitchen bench while she was making peanut butter sandwiches. She She took me under her wing. She taught me about worship. 
She taught me about loving the Word of God. She taught me about the prophetic, about prayer, about intercession. She taught me about all of these things. And there was nothing I could ever have done to repay her for that. And then they're sitting with my family last week laying hands on my children. And I want to tell you, I'm just one of countless others around the world. And so now again, the 10,000 people plus that Sam and I have had the privilege to lead to the Lord, is that actually that guy's reward for the $10,000 offering? Or is it the Naeus's reward for letting me sit at her bench when I, she was making peanut butter sandwiches? Who knows? Point is... We're all here for a purpose, and it's an eternal purpose, and we need to get it. And the gift for hospitality means you take someone in who can't repay you, and you don't have to be a pastor, and it doesn't have to be a hundred people. It can be one single mum with three daughters. It can be a teenager, but you disciple them. It says here, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. Doesn't that speak against cliques? So many times, yeah, I'll start a life group with my friends. Go ahead. That's not a life group. I'm sorry. That's a social club. That's something else. And that's fine. We can do that. But a life group is this. There's nothing you can do to repay me. Come and let me lead you in Jesus. That's where the reward's at. Malcolm Forbes said, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. And if opportunity determines our loyalty, there's something significantly wrong with our character. Number six, a reward for those who go through persecution and opposition. And endurance, there's two types of trials. We talked about it in the first one where there's hardships and circumstances, but there's also the trial that comes at the hand of people, persecution, slander, you know, that friction in relationships. And so going back to our first scripture, Luke 6, blessing awaits those, awaits you when people hate you because of me, for there's a reward for you in heaven. But further down in verse 35, love your enemies. Are you glad you came to church to hear that? Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. Listen, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High because God is kind to the unthankful and the wicked. Do you remember that moment where he said, I love you, and you are the last person he should love? So now reciprocate that. And when you do that is actually when you're behaving like a son or a daughter of God. Because if we hold anyone in judgment, we're not behaving like sons and daughters of God. We're behaving like sons and daughters of the world. Love your enemies. Bless them. Do good for them because that's where the reward is. Jerry Bridges in The Practice of Godliness says, the opposite to retaliation is to entrust ourselves into God's hands. Don't retaliate. Trust yourself in the hands of God. Can I tell you, he's way better at executing judgment than you are. Let him do it. And when he does it, it's win-win for everyone involved. 
trust yourself into the hands of a God who does a really good job at fixing things. Your job is to trust God and forgive. And this takes a lot of patience and a lot of trust. And I want to say if there was ever a time where there's friction in relationships, right down to the family unit, you're wrong, I'm right, workplaces, everywhere. We need to love our enemies, bless our enemies, and act like true sons and daughters of God. I want to tell you, haters are always going to hate. But the gospel message always saves and delivers and sets free. Let's not us hold people in judgment. Let's release them to God and watch God do something in that. Would you stand to your feet with me? What's important to God? What's important to Jesus? Can you answer that question in your heart? Is Jesus going to ask me about this? And what will I say? I asked the team to, to sing this song. It's an old song. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from earth into eternity. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most in this present world were precisely the ones who thought the most of the next. And it's since we as Christians have largely ceased to think about heaven that we've become so ineffective here on earth. God, what is important to you? Why do I go to work? Why do I do what I do? What do I see when I walk down the road, when I'm at the school, when I'm in the grocery store? Lord, open up my eyes to the things unseen. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, I don't wanna be categorized by Job and sink minds into the earth. I wanna sink minds into the earth of heaven, into the Word of God, into the spirit realm so that I can be effective, Lord God, in my generation. Come on.